Hello and welcome back to the fifth episode of Line em Up, where we talk about sports lineups, betting lines, and pretty much any line that you can think of when it comes to sports. As always, we are talking baseball once again today, and I am excited to be joined by my co-hosts, Brendan. Hey everybody, how's it going? Good to be back, and uh, big congratulations to you, John, on on your engagement with Milena. That's a big, big step for you guys, so congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Uh, If you guys are not following us on social media, please do so. I believe those are at Pod on both Instagram and Twitter, and if you saw on Instagram, I did get engaged recently, so that was very exciting and uh, also very hectic, because, you know, once you're engaged, you got to start planning wedding and in our case, weddings, but that's just uh, a peculiarity to our situation. But thank you so much. And also joining us, as always, is Eric. Woo! Welcome back, everyone. Everything's heating up, you know, the relationships, the weather, the baseball. Looking forward to it. I like it. it. Eric's excited. So we've seen the season, I think, kind of take a turn. And I think we've talked a lot in past episodes about how some of the teams we expected to perform really well in the beginning of the season had at points sort of let us down. Uh, I think at the beginning of the year, we would have all sort of put the Yankees, the Dodgers, and the Padres, not necessarily in that order, but I think we would have agreed that all of those were the three best teams on paper in baseball. And for the Yankees and the Dodgers, their beginning of the season really didn't line up with that. The Yankees started off extremely slowly. Uh, The Dodgers started off pretty well, but then hit a really big lull after those first two series with the Padres. But, oh boy, have these teams rebounded in a major way. And I want to start with the Yankees. The Yankees are 12-4 in their last 16 games. They are nipping at the heels of the Red Sox when it comes to the lead in the American League East. And they... We, we normally think of the Yankees, I think, as the Bronx Bombers, this really super potent offense. And they've actually been getting it done a little differently this year where they've been leaning on their pitching staff. And we had Corey Kluber who threw the most recent no-hitter. And it feels like every time that we come back to sit down and record this podcast, there has been another no-hitter thrown, such as the crazy nature of the beginning of this season and we now sit, just as sort of a side note, we now sit one off of the record for no-hitters in a season for the modern era, which is seven. And then we sit two off of the record for no-hitters in a season regardless of era, which is eight. So that is obviously something to keep your eye on as you go through the rest of this baseball season. But I think that performance by Kluber just highlights how the Yankees pitching staff up and down has been really getting it done. And so what I want to know from you guys is, has your perception of the Yankees changed maybe from where it was a couple weeks ago? Or is it just like, okay, I sort of expected this. You know, I was just sort of waiting for this to happen even after the slow start. Yeah, John, I think it's a little bit of both for me. Um, I I do think that it is that time of year, you know, there's always the early season hype. There's always the unexpected teams that kind of poke their head early in the season. You know, it's it's previously in recent years been the Mariners and and the Marlins and and teams that just kind of come out hot 
and get their their uh, you know fans excited and thinking that there might be potential for them making a run. But you know, around this time every year, uh, I think the big names really uh, start to kick it into gear and hit their stride a lot. And uh, it's no surprise to me that the Yankees are are one of those teams after a very very slow start in the beginning of the season. I will admit though that uh, as as you alluded to, there are um, they are winning games in a much different fashion than I envisioned uh, of the preseason Yankees in my mind. They are uh, much more dominant on the mound than I even predicted them to be. Um, Garrett Cole has been even better than I thought he would be. I mean, maybe not for other people, but um, in my head, he's typically been dominant of uh, not-so-great offenses and uh, just kind of so-so against the, the better offenses that he's faced. But so far this season, he's proven me wrong, and, and the rest of the Yankees pitching staff has looked really, really good as well uh, as of late. And um, I'm still kind of waiting for their offense to fully click. I don't know if this is the best that we'll see of them all year, but even still, I mean, being 12-4 and for the last 16 games, that's kind of scary. Uh, Eric, what's your thoughts on the Yankees? Yeah, I want to start off with Corey Kluber. I, I think this reminds me of when we talked about uh, which teams that had the longest – uh, time without a no-hitter back on our third episode, I believe. And I started off by saying, like, it's a wonder how the Indians have not ha- have been able to break their streak. And it's crazy that now Kluber has gotten it with the Yankees. Uh, I, I think, to John's question, this is kind of where I expect the Yankees to be. They start off a little stro- slow, and that's understandable. But now they're catching up with the rest of the division, and they're showing... Uh, how potent they could be. I think the tricky part is, and I think we also talked about this in even one of our earlier episodes, is they that they need to stay healthy. And I think the unfortunate part is I'm learning today, I think just now, that Kluber is going to the IL, so their pitching staff is taking a hit. And they do have a couple of guys that I'm seeing are going on paternity leave, actually. I think DJ LeMahieu, uh, who has been struggling at the um, at the at the base, at the bats, um, there's going to be a new father from what I'm hearing. So he's going to be out for a little bit. And I think Voight also, or someone I'm hearing is also uh, going to become a new father. I think Voight's also going on the IL um, as well. So it'll be tricky over the next couple of weeks to see how they'll play out. But I think overall, they're kind of where I expect to be as long as they stay healthy. Yeah, and I think that is the biggest question for me. When you look at this American League East, the two teams that are sort of positioning themselves at the top of the roost and the Rays are up there as well. And and maybe we'll talk about them a little bit later, but the two teams that are positioning themselves at the top of the roost, the Red Sox and the Yankees, they get things done in very different ways. The Yankees have been a dominant pitching team. They, they lead the major leagues in terms of war coming from their pitchers. That's both starters and relievers, but their offense is, mediocre at best and on some days it's non-existent if i were to tell you that the yankees were as offensively potent as the baltimore orioles i think most people would look at me and be like uh no that's just wrong but that's the case they are a hovering right around the bottom 10 in terms of runs scored in the major leagues and so i think health has a lot to do with that i think we've seen you know, Luke Voigt has struggled to be healthy at the beginning of the season, just came back, now going to miss some more time. 
You're talking about LeMahieu, who hasn't been himself at all and is now missing some time. Giancarlo Stanton, who was on fire to begin the season, is right now on the injured list. And so if the Yankees can get healthy and if they can sort of get those guys back and get them performing at even a slightly above average level, because right now they are below average, and their pitching staff can continue to do what it has done so far, I think sky's the limit. I think, you know, World Series is not out of the question for the Yankees, but it definitely seems like something that is a little precarious in the position that they're in. Not to say that they can't continue this winning ways, but also I wouldn't be surprised if they took a dip off. Now, I'll make a quick correction real quick. I did say it does look like DJ LeMay is going to be back in the lineup after only missing a game from Paternity Elite, so he won't be out extended uh, longer than today. Uh, looks like that was updated since I last took my notes for DJ LeMay. Well, that's great for the Yankees and, and for DJ LeMayhew, but we'll see if that is enough to sort of uh, correct the offensive woes that they've, they've sort of experienced so far in the season. Now, transitioning from them to a team that is perhaps the best offensive team in baseball and one that we have discussed at length on this podcast, that's Eric's Dodgers. And it seems like every episode we're getting a new version of the Dodgers. A couple episodes ago, we were talking about, okay, we saw them go head-to-head with the Padres. We liked what we saw, but, you know, it, can they take it a step further? They didn't take it a step further. They took it a step back and were in a prolonged slump. But now the Dodgers are perhaps playing even better than the Yankees. In their last 16 games, they are 13-3. and They are hitting the crap out of the ball, which they've done all season, admittedly. But... They are also now picking it up on the pitching mound where they're holding opponents in their last 16 games to under three and a half runs a game. Trevor Bauer has been recently the kind of pitcher that I think the Dodgers were expecting to get when they signed him to that mega deal coming off a Cy Young season in Cincinnati. And so, Eric, I want to open up to you first. You're the Dodgers fan. How happy are you with what you're seeing from L.A. now that they have sort of rediscovered the form we expected of them? Yeah, I'm pretty ecstatic that they're getting back into form, uh, particularly with still a couple of guys out on injury. But And also, during the streak, I mean, we, we really took it to the Astros. So, got some uh, much-needed feel-good wins there. I think two people that I want to highlight are Chris Taylor, who has been hitting as well as he did last year in the shortened season, and has been able to hit anywhere from leadoff to sixth in the lineup. So he's getting all those different types of pitches and, and uh, looks from those pitchers. And he is multi-positional, so he's been able to play the outfield, second base, shortstop, wherever they need him. So he's been a solid player that has allowed the flexibility that the Dodgers have needed to play around with defensive positioning and those that have been injured. And the other individual I think we definitely need to highlight is Albert Pujols, getting signed with the Dodgers and bring in the good vibes for the Dodgers. I mean, I don't know if it's just uh, the time of year or maybe it's pool of magic. That's like kind of getting the good vibes for a lot of the young folk that are on the team for that veteran presence and getting the the bats to wake up. But um, it it has certainly aligned with this signing. So I think, I think both of those are notable call outs as the Dodgers start to wake up again. 
And Brennan, I'm sure you're really hurt because I, I know the rumors were when uh, Albert Pujols was cut by the Angels that it was down to the Cardinals and the Dodgers in terms of which team he would sign with next. So I'm sure the fact that he opted not to go for the homecoming of sorts in St. Louis stung a little bit. But I want to hear your perspective because you are a fan of a team that is competing against the Dodgers for supremacy in the National League. Based on their current form, do you see this as something where you're like, oh no, this is the juggernaut of the Dodgers that we expected them to be and now the rest of the National League really needs to take notice? Or do you still see some holes that maybe other National League teams can exploit? I mean, this is, yeah, first of all, let me just thank you, John, for awarding that so kindly toward the Cardinals and, and putting us even in the same conversation as the Dodgers and the Padres. But yeah, I think this is the Dodgers team that everybody was kind of expecting to see all year. But over the course of a long season, you know, you're obviously not going to be able to keep up this pace for um, the entirety of it. So it's not completely shocking to me that they went on a little uh, skid for a little while and took a minute to find their footing. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how viable the Pujols to St. Louis uh, signing could have potentially been. It, it would have been kind of weird, and, and he would have had to be uh, very comfortable with coming off the bench and, and playing a kind of a, a pinch-hitting role, obviously. But uh, seeing as how he's doing that for the Dodgers, and, and the Cardinals are currently still giving at-bats to Matt Carpenter, who I think is eight of his last 70, um, why not bring Pujols in and, and let him hit? He can't possibly be worse than Matt Carpenter. So, yeah, it was kind of sad to see him land in L.A., but... Uh, I am still a massive Albert Pujols fan, even though he hasn't been himself uh, in quite some time. Uh, but, yeah, I wish him the best. And uh, this Dodgers team has been impressive. I mean, John, as you mentioned, they've been in a hot streak. They're 13-3 they're and three in their last 16, I think you said. And, and I'm looking at their stats for the last 15 games uh, in which they're 13-2. and two. Uh, They are winning those games by a margin of 3.27 runs and averaging scoring over six runs a game themselves. So uh, this is definitely uh, an intimidating team for any potential NL teams such as the Cardinals that want to make a deep postseason run. Uh, because I think the truth of the matter is if you run into this team and they're playing this well, uh, you're, you're not going to beat them at their own game. You're going to have to catch them on an off day um, or kind of get lucky and take advantage of something, uh, some mishaps in the game. But uh, John, I, I mean, I want to point out quickly, one of the guys that I kind of shined the spotlight on in our preview episodes when we covered the NL West was Max Muncie, and, and uh, he's been absolutely on fire as of late. Um, I'm seeing here that he's hit uh, 404 um, with 11 RBIs, 5 home runs, and 35 total bases during the stretch that you uh, described. So it's not really a surprise to me that they're winning all these games. If, if people like Max Muncy are, uh, you know, carrying the bulk of the load, then that kind of allows their lineup to just naturally cycle through, uh, as, I, as I mentioned previous, in previous episodes. So um, I think if their role players like Chris Taylor and like Max Muncy uh, are, are outperforming and, and, you know, hitting closer to their peak, then they're going to be tough to beat no matter who, who they're playing. So, uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're definitely performing to expectation, I would say, as of now. And I think it's worth wondering because this has sort of coincided with a 
similarly dominant stretch from the San Diego Padres, although the Padres have been playing better for longer. I think it's worth wondering whether or not the Dodgers sort of looked themselves in the mirror, saw what the Padres are doing, and said, okay, we really need to step our game up. And again, it's not, and it's not like they've been playing bad teams or anything during this stretch. They just got off a sweep of their rival San Francisco Giants last weekend, and the Giants were one of the hottest teams in baseball going into that series. So I think, like I sort of alluded to, maybe this is the Dodgers just looking themselves in the mirror and realizing that we can be better, we should be better, now let's go be better. And that's why we're seeing better, more consistent results out there on the field. Speaking of the Padres... They, not the Dodgers, not the Yankees, are actually the team that sits at number one on MLB's latest power rankings, rising up from number five in the power rankings last week. So maybe a little bit of a steady climb for the Padres up to the number one spot. They are followed in the top five by the Red Sox at two. The White Sox, who had previously been number one, but after getting swept in last weekend's series by the Yankees, maybe raised some doubts about uh, the holes in their team. They're drowned up to number three. Number four, we have the Dodgers. And so, you know, they've made their way back into the top five and sort of legitimate, you know, solidified that spot in the top five, sitting there at number four. And then number five, we have the Giants, who were much higher in past rankings, getting swept by the Dodgers, Probably doesn't help, but they're still hanging on the top five. And so my question to you guys as always is, of these teams, one through 30, which one caught your eye this in this week's rankings and said, okay, I see why they're there. I really agree with that ranking. Eric, I want to hear from you first. Yeah, I think overall from looking at these rankings this week, a lot of it I, I pretty much agree with, quite, quite honestly. Uh, there, there aren't too many that I was terribly shocked about. So for those that I agree with, I would have to look at the middle of the pack. And I'm uh, curious uh, and, and been keeping an eye out on the Braves and the Cubs who sit at the 15 and 16 mark. Uh, and they've been cover, kind of hovering around there, moving up and shifting a little bit around there. They continue to be accurately in the middle of the league from my perspective. And... Uh, could beat any team, could lose any team at the moment. And I'm, I'm curious to know if they'll be moving up or down as the weeks go on. And they could easily crack the top 12 if they were to jump at the top of, the, of their division because they're only within a couple of games of the division leaders um, at the moment. Yeah, Brendan, the, the Cubs currently only sit one game back and are tied in the loss column with with your St. Louis Cardinals. I can't imagine that has you very excited, but what team on this list does have you excited, does have you saying, yeah, I really agree with where they're at? Yeah, I'm not too worried about the Cubs, boys. I, don't, I mean, they, they figured it out a little bit. They started to hit the ball better than most uh, National League pitchers, uh, which it took them about a month to figure out. So um, I, I don't think that they'll be able to keep up their winning ways for too long. Um, I think they've outperformed expectations, but – um, that's besides the point. Just, I mean, I, I'm going back to the, the White Sox. I mean, last episode, I did note that the White Sox, uh, I believe were also at number three, the last time we covered the power rankings. Um, and I think that they definitely belong at the number three spot, uh, where they're sitting right now, uh, once again. And 
Uh, quick note, they are 10-5 and five in games that Carlos Rodon and Lance Lynn have started. Um, those two guys have, have way, way outperformed expectations, I think, thus far, especially Carlos Rodon. Um, and just summarizing the White Sox once again, I think they look and feel very good from the eye test perspective. Um, they've hit the ball extremely, extremely well. Um, even if they are outperforming their pitching expectations a little bit, I think uh, this last series that they had with the Yankees prior to this series with the Cardinals that they're wrapping up currently, um, I think it was more telling of the type of White Sox team we can expect in a potential playoff series just because they are an exciting team to watch and they do have that firepower that could carry them through a series. But when they come up against these powerhouse teams, I still just feel like they're not completely ready as we discussed uh, in previous episodes. So I think number three is a fitting spot for them right now, but uh, we'll see if they, if they make a jump or if they dip down a little bit. And I'm going to go with a team that I, I sort of alluded to them earlier, the Tampa Bay Rays. They sit right now at number eight, and I like the fact that the you know the person doing these power rankings is giving respect to what has been a very good Rays team so far. But I think there's an argument that says maybe they could be higher. They just came off an 11-game win streak. They are right now sitting at the top of the American League East, albeit only half a game above the Red Sox, uh, a game above the Yankees, and all three are tied in the loss column. But... I think this is such a typical Tampa Bay Rays sort of start to a season. Flying under the radar, you know, letting people talk about the Yankees and the Red Sox. And and when it was the Yankees doing badly, that's all people wanted to focus on. When the Red Sox were tearing the cover off the ball, that's all people wanted to focus on. But here we are, 50 games into the season, and it is the Rays that are actually sitting on top of the division the Rays that I think are well positioned to make good on my prediction from earlier in our preview episode that's saying that they would make the playoffs and the Rays that I think continue to defy uh, a lot of people's expectations and be greater than the sum of their parts. So we've talked about now the the teams that we agree with or that we're a little bit excited with uh, given where they were ranked. What are the teams that you look at, gentlemen, and say, I don't know about that. That seems either way too high, way too low, or you're just confused at why they're put in that place. Brendan, I want to go to you first with this one. Yeah, I don't I, – I feel bad because I keep going back at the Giants. Um, I just don't think that they belong in the top five. Frankly, I don't think they even belong in the top ten. They've only played 12 of 48 games against teams that are currently over 500. And they just got absolutely destroyed by the Dodgers in the series. I think that's very, very much more representative of the skill of this Giants team. It is impressive that they've beat up on these teams that they've played so far. But I don't think that that's a reflection of uh, the strength that they have shown thus far. I don't think they belong in the top five whatsoever. And they're currently sitting in third in the NL West, which... I would be surprised if they even make it to the top two for the rest of the season, given the Padres and the Dodgers now being ahead of them. 
Yeah, to me, the giant the Giants are definitely a team that could go either way. I wouldn't. I, I think there's talent there, right? Like I think we talked about when we talked about them in the last episode. They have a lot of proven veterans that have been showing up early in this season, and so those guys know how to play baseball. There's no doubt about that. And if they can continue to sort of produce at a level maybe higher than we expected them, I think the Giants could continue to rise. But I also would not be surprised at all if they continue to fall off and definitely think that there are teams ranked below them, namely the Yankees and the Rays, that you could legitimately make a case for being above the Giants. Eric, I know you're always happy to hear people sort of uh, take a little steam out of the Giants' uh you know, engine, what team do you think needs to be either knocked down a peg or, or, or something like that? Yeah, actually my point, it plays pretty well off Brennan's is I mentioned that overall, I pretty much agree with the general framework of the power rankings this week. The nitpicky switch that I would have would be probably White Sox over Red Sox uh, and move the White Sox higher up. However, I understand that the White Sox dropped the series against the Yankees. And if that were the case, then I don't completely understand why the Yankees didn't move up from their previous week's ranking. Because the Yankees are currently sitting at 7, the Astros are at 6, and the Giants are right above them at 5. So if the White Sox were that good and they dropped because of their sweep, uh, or, or rather getting swept by the Yankees, then I don't understand how the Yankees didn't move up, particularly of how well they're pitching, above at least the Astros, if not the Giants. I, yeah, I think that's that's a fair point. I'm going to go to the other end of the rankings. Uh, I'm going to go to the bottom five, and we don't often talk about the bottom five, but I, I want to just point something out, point out something where I think they got this wrong. They have the Pirates sitting at 30th. And going into the season, I think a lot of people would not have been surprised at this, that the Pirates would be the worst team in baseball. However, I think this is incorrect in terms, if you're looking at what is actually going on right now, the Orioles are the worst team in baseball right now. And that hurts me to say as an Orioles fan, but if you just pay attention to what's going on on the field, there is no argument to me that says anybody but the Orioles should be the 30th ranked team since John Means no-hitter, which was absolutely a high point for Baltimore baseball, not just this season, but over the last several seasons. Since John Means no-hitter, they are 2-15. and 15. 2 and 15. And so that's not just, oh, they're playing bad this week, put them down at 30. That's they have been playing bad for several weeks. And so the, re- the it just shocks me that the Orioles are not down in 30th, despite having the worst record in baseball, despite being the worst team over the last two or three weeks. And yet they continue to sit not outside of that 30th position. So to me, that is... Just I, I just think it's wrong, honestly. So now that we've done our agrees with, our disagrees with, always the last one to round out our talk of the power rankings, a team that we are intrigued with. And Eric, I want to hear from you again first with this one. Yeah, so looking through the rankings, now I'm going to look at the bottom similar to you, and I continue to keep my eye on how the Nationals are doing. They were ranked 25th the week prior, and now they move up to the the 20 spot right now sitting sitting around the reds and the royals and as they are continuing to compete in the division and hopefully get healthier and juan soto continues to hit well at the plate i could see them 
continue to climb that rankings uh, as we continue to discuss them in the coming episodes. Yeah, I think. No, I was just gonna. Yeah, I think that um, Eric, you uh, you definitely hit a spot that I've also been looking at. The Nationals are still an intriguing team from my standpoint. I think that they have underperformed thus far. Um, but I, I do want to look at a different NLE's team, and that's the uh, Marlins. They're currently sitting at number 18 on the rankings. Uh, I would argue that they might even belong up higher than that. They've allowed the seventh fewest runs in the major leagues, which sounds insane to say. And because they have allowed the seventh fewest run in the majors, uh, they have a plus 14 run differential. And recently, if you know we're going to make the argument that uh, there should be more weight put on recent games played um, than these rankings typically do. They did just take two out of three against their NL East rivals, the Mets and the Phillies, and they managed to steal a game against the Red Hot Dodgers in L.A. before leaving L.A. So I think 18 is an intriguing spot for them for me, but... They might even belong a little higher. I don't know how you guys feel about the Marlins. To be honest, I haven't watched a ton of the Marlins this year, but they do look interesting, especially if they can keep pitching as well as they have. To me, the Marlins are always an enigma. It's They're a team that doesn't really keep star power, so you're never going to be like, oh, yeah, I'm familiar with the Marlins lineup. I know all their players because generally any player that they – that you would know they tend to just trade away. But I think they are a team that is loaded with youth, with potential. Uh, Sixto Sanchez and Sandy Alcantara are are obviously very talented pitchers and, and probably big reasons why they have pitched so well. They have limited other teams to run scores. But I think it's always hard to pinpoint the Marlins just because most of the baseball-watching world even in Florida, because let's be honest, there aren't that many Marlins fans even in their own state. They've got better things to do uh, down there than, than watch the Miami Marlins currently. Absolutely. And so I think that's always why it's hard to pinpoint. But yeah, you, you bring up a lot of good points. For me, a team that we do know a lot of the names on it, a team that I think you both had big expectations for, and a team that still leaves me maybe more puzzled than intrigued, and that's the Minnesota Twins, who right now have sunk to what I have to imagine is their lowest ranking of the season at 26th, just, you know, just bringing up the bottom five of the league. And I think we all are wondering when the twins are going to kick it back into gear. The talent is there. And even, you know, the, in terms of runs scored and runs given up, they profile as a team that should be in a lot better position that they are they have a minus 15 run differential on the season. If you look at other teams in similar spots, the Mets are at minus 12. The A's are at minus 14. Both of those teams lead their respective divisions at the moment. And yet the here we are with the Twins as a bottom five team in baseball, according to these rankings. And it just, you know, begs the question for me, like, okay, we all keep thinking the Twins are going to turn it around. The Twins are going to turn it around. I think... Uh, a couple weeks ago, we would have looked at the Twins and the Yankees being in similar boats in terms of t- talented teams that are underperforming. The Yankees have turned it around. The Twins haven't. And so that's what has me intrigued is 
is this the bottom of the Twins' free fall? Or is just the place that they're just going to come to rest for the whole season and they and they don't end up turning it around? So that's one I will keep my eye on going forward. Yeah, I do want to address that quickly. Uh, I do want to just point out that the Twins are very rapidly running out of time to turn it around, especially if the White Sox are going to continue to play as well as they have and the Indians are going to stick around. But I do, it is important to note that the Twins have had some tough luck so far this season. As you mentioned, their run differential is not reflective at all of their terrible record currently. And I think that's largely due to the fact that they were, they started off the season 0-8 in extra inning games, which seems like an anomaly. And they actually managed to finally win their first extra inning game just a few days ago as of this recording. But that puts them at 1-8 in extra inning games. I don't think with the runner starting on second base rule that the MLB is using now, that that is um, at all expected of any team to be that terrible in extra innings. It seems much more um, hit or miss and, and kind of a random idea, random thing, much closer to like a shootout in hockey or penalties in, in uh, soccer. So I would expect that to regress to the mean if they do have more extra any games going forward, but yeah, they are quickly, quickly running out of time to make their, their jump back into the, the standings here. Yeah, I think from I think from a league-wide perspective, I, I'm actually surprised how competitive the American League is this year. I think there's more people competing in the East than I had anticipated, at least. The A's are doing better and still leading the division, and the Indians are still in the race. So it's a little more surprising than the NL. Well, to just wrap up the Twins thing, they did just sweep the Orioles, so maybe that was their get-right uh, series, and maybe they go on to bigger and better things from there. All right, I'm now we're going to move on to, I think, the biggest story that we haven't yet covered in this episode, and that is Shohei Mania. Shohei Otani, if you watch any of the talk shows, if you, if you look at Twitter, pretty much Everybody from every walk of life in, when it comes to sports is impressed by Shohei Otani. Uh, I believe Kevin Durant put out a tweet where he was saying that he had to trade for Shohei Otani on the Nationals in his MLB The Show uh, dynasty. I know J.J. Watt has been very uh, effusive with his praise of, of Shohei on Twitter as well. All the talk shows are Shohei this, Shohei that. So much to the point that with the injury to his teammate Mike Trout. He has catapulted himself up the list where he now is the far and away favorite to be American League MVP. Currently sitting at plus 120 odds. Closest to him after that is plus 450. And so my question to you in terms of our predictions for this week, gentlemen, is simple. If there's going to be a player not named Shohei Otani, that takes home the American League MVP, who do you think it's going to be? Brendan, let's start with you. Yeah, this is an interesting question, actually, I think, John, because looking at it, I think there are a lot of reasonable answers that you guys can go with. I, myself, landed on somebody kind of interesting, and it segues nicely from our previous conversation. I think if the Twins turn it around and make a run, that will gain some storylines and take the headlines away from Shohei Otani. And that will definitely be led by their um, monster in center field, Byron Buxton, who's currently sitting at plus 1,700 odds. 
to win the MVP right now. They've, I mean, as we mentioned already, they've underperformed. Uh, but Byron Buxton is still dominating. He's still got 2.8 um, baseball reference war, which is the same as Shohei Otani. And as I mentioned, he will definitely have the hero status and the hero headlines if the Twins make a surge and even end up in the postseason. Whereas I think the biggest downfall for Shohei currently is that the Angels are very, very, very bad outside of him and Jared Walsh and Mike Trout, who's currently injured. Um, so I would I would imagine that they're going to finish probably fourth, maybe third of the division at this point, which is another year wasted for Mike Trout, which I think is sad for MLB fans um, everywhere that we don't get to see Mike Trout in the playoffs. But I do think uh, – I do, I do just want to point out, it is – I think the Shohei hype is uh, definitely deserved on his end because – in my mind, this is the equivalent of a guy dominating two professional sports. I mean, when you really break it down, it's very, very difficult to play two sports at such a high competitive level in the most challenging league on the planet for that sport. So I think what he's done on the mound and what he's done at the plate, uh, they should really be deserving of all the praise that he's gotten. I mean, it's it's insane. You, you, we haven't seen anyone do this in the modern era, I think. So it's pretty crazy to see what he's done. But I, I'm going to go with Byron Buxton at plus 1,700 to potentially steal it from him. Yeah, I love the I love the love for Byron Buxton because I think it often gets forgotten that this was a guy who was uh, a second overall draft pick from by the Twins way back when, a guy who was a former number one overall prospect and who now at the age of 27 is really putting it all together. He was the player of the month in April. He is definitely the shining bright spot on what is otherwise disappointing twins team. So I really appreciate that as a fan of baseball, giving love to him, Eric, I know you love Shohei Otani. So I know you would be perfectly happy with him walking away with the AL MVP award. If he's not going to be the one, who do you think will be? Yeah, you explained that perfectly, John. I would be ecstatic if Otani could uh, pull this out, and I definitely think he would deserve it as long as he stays healthy, obviously, and that's always going to be the tricky part. I, I think if Brendan is, is going to pass over the easy answer, I think I'm going to pick it up right now, and it's going to have to be Vlad Guerrero Jr., right? And he's the one that's leading the league right now in home runs, in RBIs, in OPS. He's fifth in batting average. And he currently leads the league in offensive wins above replacement with 2.9. And his team is in contention. I'll be really a very, uh, amongst a very uh, difficult division at the moment with how well the Red Sox and the Rays and the Yankees are, are doing right now. Um, but I think he's the obvious candidate for someone who could win the MVP this year in the AL. Yeah, and if I had if I had looked at this and picked with my heart, it would have been Vlad Guerrero Jr. all the way. His father is my favorite baseball player ever, and I love the fact that we are finally seeing all of the talent that we knew that he had really show itself in terms of production, really show itself in terms of the way he's handling himself on the field. We talked about in the preview episode how 
he had been someone who really transformed his body in the offseason. And I think that is even showing up um, with what we're seeing out of him. And so if I picked with my heart, I would have picked Vlad Guerrero. But I picked with my head. And I think to to go back and talk a little bit about Otani first, I think a part of the reason that we are elevating him to such a high status is because he has been the the not only the Angels, you know, one of their best hitters, not to discredit Mike Trout, but he's obviously hurt now. He's been their ace. And 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 being an ace carries so much weight for a team that it's hard to look at an ace that also has 15 home runs and 35 RBIs and say, yeah, that guy isn't the most valuable player in baseball. And so for me, I think the guy who has the best chance to unseat or derail Otani's MVP candidacy is Garrett Cole, the preeminent ace in the American League. It's not often that we see pitchers win the MVP. We saw it with Clayton Kershaw several years ago. We saw it with Justin Verlander about 10 years ago, I think it was. And so I think if anyone is going to outshine what Otani is doing both with the bat and on the pitching mound, it's going to be the best pitcher in the American League in Garrett Cole, who we could see do the rare feat of the Cy Young and the MVP. And I think he has the best uh, opportunity to derail Otani. Yeah, as much as it hurts to admit, I do I do think that that's an intelligent pick, John. The way he's pitched so far, he definitely he definitely should be in the conversation. I don't know personally if he keeps it up all year, but if he does, then that's uh, I, I wouldn't want to be on the voting committee for sure for the MVP. That's it's not easy to choose from. Well, and and to go back to the discussion of the odds, right? So Tani's at plus one twenty one or one twenty, excuse me. Garrett Cole's all the way down here at plus four thousand. To me, that's ridiculous. Look at the guys above him. The guys immediately above him, Eloy Jimenez and Luis Robert for the White Sox, have both been hurt this year and and are not the names that I would say like, oh yeah, those are the, the, the reason that the White Sox are winning. Jose Ramirez is always great, but I think the Yankees are going to get much more publicity than the Indians, especially if the White Sox continue to lead that division. And I think that plays into who ends up being the MVP. So... If you're looking at this, I think it's an intelligent pick just in general, but if you're looking at it from a betting value, plus 4,000 on Garrett Cole right now seems like a steal in terms of odds. And so that's that's part of the reason why I really think that that is the guy that if you were putting money on this, someone to derail Otani, that's where I would put my money. Yeah, I don't I don't hate that at all, for sure. Eric, I'll let you jump in, but... I mean, I'll say I'm a little more skeptical. I mean, if you're just looking at the, these betting odds, obviously Garrett Cole is the best pitcher amongst this list, and there's not another pitcher that's in breathing distance right now in betting odds uh, for a pitcher to win the MVP. So I think it's kind of reasonable for where it is because I don't think it's likely we're going to get a pitcher to win MVP. If we're going to talk about the Yankees in general, my second option would have been Aaron Judge, obviously, who is hitting as well as he did during his Rookie of the Year season, where he also was second in AL MVP voting. And he is currently leading his team in basically RBIs, home runs, batting average. So basically the the batting powerhouse of his team right now. 
So if there was a most valuable player, it could be Aaron Judge. So that, that would be my second option rather than Garrett Cole. Yeah, I think I, I think the big reason that he's plus 4,000 is because it takes a year of like sh- sheer dominance for a pitcher for the entirety of the season to be deserving of the MVP, mostly because the you know the voters that vote for these awards look at this as there is an award for pitchers and there is an award for position players. Yes, a pitcher can win that MVP award that is typically reserved for a position player, but obviously a pitcher or uh, excuse me, a position player can't win the Cy Young award. So they try and steer away from uh, giving a pitcher both awards, but in rare cases, there are those seasons where, as you mentioned, Clayton Kershaw and Justin Verlander just stand out as far and away the most important player in the league. And I think that's what it takes for a pitcher to walk away with it. So I don't think plus 4,000 is outlandish for Garrett Cole. I do think there might be some value there, um, given the way that he's pitched so far. I don't think it's crazy to I, – I mean, at the very least, you definitely shouldn't be ruling him out of the MVP race. But I do um, – I, I do still think it's pretty far out there for him to walk away with the MVP. The last thing I'm going to say on this before we move on to who's that man, which I know is a favorite amongst the, the listeners. If we're considering Otani's performance as a pitcher, which I think is like Otani's performance have to be considered together, both as a hitter and a pitcher, because if you separate one or the other, his MVP candidacy falls apart. And so I think if you are opening it up to not just hitters, because Otani is not just a hitter, that's why I think Garrett Cole may have a even better chance this year. Because we're already saying, okay, pitchers matter in this award because Otani is also a pitcher. And so the, again, that's where I think the opening for Garrett Cole's candidacy comes, whether or not he can deliver a dominant enough season to make to capitalize on that opening yet to be seen he's i think he's started out reasonably well in that regard but again we shall see so so from my understanding and maybe i missed this do we think that because he is this i don't know we call it bi-positional player he'll get a boost in it or they'll just respect that he has good stats in both of his positions does, well, does that question make sense if you look at just his hitting numbers his hitting numbers alone are not MVP worthy. Not at all. They're good, but they're not MVP worthy. And so that's where I think the boost from what I think most people consider a Ruthian type effort in terms of being both a pitcher and a hitter, that's where that comes in. Okay, so you think he will get like kind of an added boost prestige because he's able to play those positions, not necessarily that he's also doing well in both positions, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I, I think I think because, look, if you were to look at him as just a hitter and say, okay, we are going to evaluate his MVP candidacy just as a hitter, he wouldn't win. If you were to look at him as just a pitcher and evaluate his Cy Young candidacy just as a pitcher, he wouldn't win, at least not what he's, based on what he's done now. So I think it's the combination of both, and because you can't factor hitting stats into – who wins the Cy Young, they end up factoring pitching stats into who wins the MVP. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, like I said, I don't think Garrett Cole is an outlandish pick, but I I do think that plus 4,000 is probably fair just because it's hard for him to 
to walk away with the MVP, as, as mentioned before. But, yeah, I, I do think that uh, he belongs the conversation, and he's probably one of the only pitchers in the American League that probably still has a shot at the MVP. A- absolutely, absolutely. All right, so enough of that talk, because I think we've talked the MVP conversation, especially it being only a little bit more than a quarter way through the season. I think we've, we've talked at the death at this point. Moving on to our favorite segment, the one that you're all here for, Who's That Man? And for the first time, Eric will be leading us this week. All right, let's go, folks. To my left here, we have John Beers, our heavy hitter, who's been hitting dingers and hitting home runs and spraying it all over corners of the field. And to my right here, we have Brendan Rollins. He's our star pitcher. He's been throwing heat, and he's been painting all the corners. So we have a, a good matchup today. They're both, uh, they both have won wins over the past two games, so we'll see who comes out and is leading after this week. So let's begin. Who's that man? Be quick on the buzzers today, boys, because we could have some, uh, maybe some some easy ones here. Let's see. So our first player for current season stats, I have a couple of stats for him. He's second in the NL in pitching war, fourth overall in the MLB. He's 14th in the league in ERA of 2.38, has a 2.55 fielding independent pitching. He is sixth in the league in Ks with 78. Uh, and he has a .94 whip at the moment. I like it. Wow, that was, yeah, that was a lot to go off of. I like that. All right, no one's buzzed in yet, so let's say that this man, he bats lefty, but he throws righty. This is, this is, uh, Brendan's last chance to uh, chime in before the uniform number comes out, so be wary. I'm actually, right, actually going to go for it. Is it Zach Wheeler? It is Zach Wheeler. Oh, there we my go. goodness. Talk about quick buzzers this time. There you go. I'm wow. really glad okay. that you told me he hit lefty because he's one of the only pitchers I know that hits lefty and throws right. There we go. Doesn't DeGrom hit lefty? He does. He no, does. He does. <laughs> and, so does and, and so does Syndergaard, although I know Syndergaard was as – is not in this well, conversation. I, yeah, I know DeGrom that's lefty, but his ERA is like 0. .8, so I know it's not him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. All right, so that, that was impressive. I think that was our earliest ever get on who's That's that what man. I need. So feed me feed Brent, me some more easy ones, Eric. i got to beat John. <laughs> Brendan taking the early lead. All right. I need you guys to buzz in quicker. That's what, that's what I'm trying to get you at. Uh, all right, for our second man, here we go. This this might be an easy one if you're, if you're kept up to date. This man Leads the MLB with 12 errors, let alone, let alone as his own position, which attributes to his team's 28th ranking in errors per game. He is the worst fielding percentage at his position, currently with 0.893. That's all I'm going to give you. All right, Brendan. I really hope this is right because this would be incredible. Is this Javier Baez? It is not Javier Baez. No. Baez. All right. I'm buzzing it as well. All is right, it Gl- is it is it Gliber Torres? It is not Gliber Torres. He's doing a little better this year. I, d- I did make notes that he's actually doing a little better when we were going to talk about the Yankees. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, this man bats righty and he throws righty. Are you sure it's not Javier Baez? That's a good question. I, I do not believe so. Unless maybe as we're talking today, as we're recording, he's racked up like a bunch more errors. All right, 
Here we go. He currently wears number 23. Uh, yep. John, I hope that helped you. It did not help me at all. Is it, Fer- is it Fernando Tatis Jr.? It is Fernando Tatis Jr. Oh, why? Why is, it, why is it the jersey number? <laughs> this man okay. is getting a lot of errors for his, his team at the oh, moment. Oh, dang it. Which is, which is hilarious because I, I feel like when he came up, he was talked about as being a do-it-all shortstop, that, and people assumed that the athleticism would result in good defense. I guess so far that is not the case. No, if, if you look over his stats over the past two or three years, he's, he's lost runs at net average um, for his team. So he's not been playing right. well at all. Going into the rubber match now. All right, here we go. This could be a tricky one, so be ready. No. Since his return, he has been batting 345 with a 472 OBP and a 1.127 OPS. That's all I'm going to give you. His return. All right. This one's going to be trickier, so you better be, better be ready. So he bats lefty and he throws righty. No way. He currently wears number 26, but he previously wore 36 and 51. He signed in 2010 and debuted in the MLB in 2016. No one's buzzing in yet, folks. Maybe you're listening. You already know who this is. Maybe not. I probably don't know who this is. Uh, He currently plays in the AL. The American League. The American League. Oh, that rules out who I was thinking. All right. This is the clue, so you better be ready. In the World Series, he hit 111 with a 444 OPS. His career stats are 248 batting average, 349 OBP, and 807 OPS. Oh, I know who it is. I know who it is. Miss it. Oh, is it... um... Joey Wendell? It is not Joey yes. Wendell. Brandon gets to steal it. Is it G-Mon Choi? It is G-Mon yes. Choi! <laughs> he has been injured all season. He came back nine, ga- nine games ago, but he's uh, he's batting well. I had no idea he was doing that well this season, but I do remember his World Series stats. <laughs> <laughs> I knew we weren't going to get into the World Series stats. I was hoping you guys would pick a Dodger there. Oh my god. Well, you said you said AL, thankfully. I my mind did go my mind did go to Dodgers, but then the AL the AL clue helped. So Brendan, big dog Rollins after 3 Ooh. weeks of who's that man sits at the top 2 and 0. Oh. He will look to continue that next week. I'll be back uh on the mic for who's that man. But Brendan, good job. That's a big oh. steal. Big steal for the underdogs. We'll take that. <laughs> so we'll move into our last segment, which is, as always, is previewing the best series of the weekend. And we went a little bit off the beaten path for the best series of the weekend. And we're talking Braves at Mets, who just played early last week and are doing it again at City Field this week. And so... After a cagey affair, a lot of one-run, a couple one-run games, a two-run game last week in Atlanta, we're seeing the Mets and the Braves square off again. Mets are very injured. 
Braves hit a lot of home runs. Brendan, take us through the series. Yeah, I'm actually really excited to see this weekend series between these two NL East teams again. I think they're going to be battling it out for quite a while at the top of the standings here. Um, And as you mentioned, John, they did give us a pretty good series just over a week and a half ago where we saw two one-run games, including um, an Acuna walk-off home run and the Braves' only win of that series. As mentioned, the Mets took two of three. Uh, They were underdogs the whole series, which is something to keep an eye on for sure. Uh, That's most likely due to their injuries, and they'll be carrying a lot of those, including Pete Alonso, Jeff McNeil, and uh, a long list of others, as, as previously discussed, into the weekend. And at the center stage, once again, will be Francisco Lindor, who, con- who continues to struggle. We'll see if he can turn it around this weekend um, against these Braves starters. And as you mentioned, John, the Braves are hitting the ball very well, but they will most likely be without Marcelo Zuna, who dislocated their, his finger and will be out for a few weeks, I believe. And just to quickly give you guys some headlines before we head into the discussion for the weekend, we will be seeing Jacob deGrom throwing. We will be seeing Max Fried throwing, best friend of Jack Flaherty this weekend. Max Fried did start against these Mets. Uh, The last time they faced off, they did lose that game, but Fried looked okay. He did leave, I believe, after five or six innings, giving up only one run. Six innings, yeah. Yes. He, he 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 left he left and there was speculation that he was injured but obviously it was not a huge injury because he has not missed a start since exactly then. but yeah he did leave after six innings of pretty good exactly pitching. so he as mentioned he has looked pretty good of late he's only allowed one earned run in each of his last four starts and the Mets uh, excuse me the Braves are six and one in their last seven away games and the Mets are six and one in their last seven home games so we'll see so. Something's got to give. We'll see which one of those streaks continues. That will not be our stop the streak of the week. We will cover that in a bit. But I do just want to get some preliminary thoughts about the series from you guys. Um, I'm pretty excited to see. I I personally think that they're going to be little lower scoring affairs, which we'll talk about in a bit. But, Eric, what are your uh, first impressions of this Mets-Braves series of the weekend? I think overall it will be a tight series. I I think – I'm curious to see if the Braves will continue to play well as a couple of weeks ago when we initially talked about them, they're sitting at the bottom. And now they're kind of picking it up, competing in the division. And I don't know, I think I, I think I need to reflect a little bit more about which team I think will actually win this series, quite honestly, because I think it'll be that close. Okay, we won't get necessarily full predictions yet, but uh, I do just want to hear what what John's got to say over there. John, what are you thinking about these two teams? So I I want to call back to the last series, and I think the lasting image that came out of the last series between these two teams was not the Acuna home run, but Kevin Pillar taking a fastball to the face and... It was not. It was ugly. I, I was watching that game live when it happened. It was ugly, um, but he was able to get back up, and he's been in pretty high spirits. Although he is now on the injured list, obviously. And to me, that seems like it could be a metaphor for the Mets season. It seems like it could be a metaphor for this series. The Mets are super banged up, so banged up, in fact, that they had to trade 
to the uh, for Cameron Maben, I believe, from the Cubs, just to have major league quality outfielders ready to assume their positions. However, they do have the great equalizer in Jacob Degrom, so it would not surprise me if they win the game with Degrom, and they maybe steal another game against the Braves, who are much worse on the road. But it also wouldn't surprise me if the outside of the Degrom game, the uh, the Braves kind of act like that fastball and beat the shit out of the Mets. Yeah, that's a good point. We should we should highlight the fact that Kevin Pillar did get injured with that pitch against the Braves. It is kind of alarming how many hitters have been hit with dangerous pitches like that early on in the season. I don't really know if that's uh, a sign of things to come and that's kind of the way that the game is moving toward right now or if that's just kind of an anomaly. But obviously we do uh, – it's hard to watch those kind of moments uh, as fans when they do happen. You never want to see anybody get hurt, especially something scary like that at the plate. But uh, from our perspective, that does kind of – give us another angle to look at when we are looking at this series going into the weekend. You know, will the Mets retaliate? Will there be more fireworks? I don't know. I would imagine no. I think they kind of settled it last time, but you never know. This is a division rival, and they will be competing for the division for what looks like most of the season. I do want to point out, again, before we go game by game and, and get our predictions here, that the Mets are 18-5 and when scoring first. And that includes 10-1 and one at home compared to them being 4-15 and 15 when their opponent scores first. So it will be important to see um, who gets out ahead in these games, especially if we think they're going to be low-scoring affairs. Eric, I'm going to come back to you. Who do you have winning the series this weekend? I currently think that the Braves are the hotter team. So I actually think that they will likely win the first two games of the series and they will probably drop the third because it will be close. But I think they'll make that push to be to reclaim the top of the division. Okay, John, um, who do you have winning the series? I'll save the details for Stop the Streak. But I have the Braves winning the series. Obviously, when you have Jacob DeGrom pitching one of the games, I think the likelihood of being swept is fairly low. But I think the Braves ultimately win the series. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually on the same side as you guys. I, I do have the Braves winning the series. I think that they might actually sweep even with DeGrom starting just because I don't think the Mets will put up too many runs. But um, yeah, without, without further ado, we will get into our stop the streak of the week. And uh, boys and girls, we've got quite an interesting one for you. As I mentioned, I do think these games are going to be pretty low scoring. And, uh, you know, for those of you who are betting minded, you might be looking at the unders, which is not a bad idea. Um, the last few times we talked about Stop the Streak, we have mentioned a lot of trends toward the unders. I believe a couple weeks ago when we talked about unders, it didn't work out so well with the Padres and Cardinals, but that's mostly because the Padres hit the crap out of the ball. So... We're just going to ignore that, especially with me hosting right now. So we're just going to breeze past that one. Um, but the Mets are, uh, excuse me, when the Mets are playing, they are 14 over, 24 under, and four pushes this year. But at home at City Field, they only have one game that's gone over so far this whole season. Only one out of 17. 13 of them have gone under and three have pushed. And the only game that went over 
so far this season, went into extra innings, and it only went over by a run. So, with games at City Field having gone under by an average of almost two runs a game at 1.94, Eric and John, will we have two of three unders hit this weekend between the Braves and the Mets, or will the offenses come alive and stop the streak? John, what do you think? you stopping the streak, or we got two of three unders? So... This question was phrased as, will the offenses come alive? Plural. I think only one offense comes alive, that of the Atlanta Braves. But I think it is enough to stop the streak and have the number of over games at City Field be doubled. I think on both Friday and Saturday, against Friday's looking like a bullpen game for the Mets. Uh, Max Freed is going for the Braves on Saturday against David Peterson, whose ERA is over for this year. I think the Braves buck all the trends. They're not usually a good away team. Buck that. The Nobody scores over at City Field. Buck that. And the Braves come out, put it to the Mets Friday and Saturday, and then Jacob DeGrom comes in and cleans up and everything. And you probably get like you probably get like a one-nothing game where Jacob DeGrom pitches nine innings and hits a solo home run to be the only run. And the Mets win on Sunday. But I'm going stopping the streak. Braves hit the over Friday and, and Saturday. All right. Interesting. Eric, what's your what's your opinion on this one? John, John, John. You and I are actually thinking the same thing this week. I, I actually likewise think that the uh, we'll hit the over this week with the Braves particularly hitting uh, the crap out of the ball. I think Freddie Freeman will hit particularly well. I'm keeping an eye out on Austin Riley actually because um, he's been hitting particularly well this season, uh, batting 312 at the plate, and I think. I think they hit two home runs this weekend, and I, I think uh, they'll push the over in particular for the series. Sorry, I just want to clarify. Was that two home runs each for Austin Riley and Freddie Freeman, or two home runs total between them? No, two home runs just for Austin Riley himself. Oh, okay, okay. That's I'm, I'm glad I asked for clarification. That's, that's a big prediction. Um, all right, so we got two for two so far, stopping the streak uh, from John and Eric. I, of course will be the black sheep once again. I think that this trend not only continues, but I think we probably have all three games go under. I don't think either of these teams are going to hit the ball particularly well this this weekend. And I think given the starters uh, for Friday and Saturday, outside of Max Freed that we know has been good of late, I don't think that the lines will be reflecting that they think they're going to be very low-scoring games, even though the all of these trends are pointing toward that. So I think they'll probably be around the eight, eight and a half, maybe even nine for Friday. So I think that lends to a little more wiggle room with the under. And with that being said, I think those games both go under because I think Max Fried has a good game once again against these Mets who are very injured, as we've discussed. And I think Sunday with Charlie Morton versus Jacob DeCrom, most likely the matchup. Obviously, we know Jacob DeGrom is going to be Jacob DeGrom. Uh, even though the Mets are only four and three overall when he starts, the unders hit five times out of seven with one push. So count it. That's only one over. And DeGrom hasn't allowed more than five hits in any game that he's pitched in this season. And that only happened one time. Every other game he's allowed three hits or fewer, and he's yet to allow more than one earned run in any start this season. 
I think it's unquestionable that Sunday's game goes under unless by some miracle these ragtag Mets put up a bunch of runs against Charlie Morton. So that being said, I'm going with three for three unders. Streak continues. That'll be uh, two for stop the streak and me by myself on the side of the streak continuing. And that'll wrap up the stop the streak of the week. John, I'll kick it to you to wrap us up. But So we have Brendan being the king of who's that man right now, but the black sheep of stop the streak. And I think that's a good place to wrap up this fifth episode. As always, gentlemen, I want to give a shout out to you for all of the great work that you've done and all the great work that I'm sure we will continue to do. And I want to give a shout out to Trey Mancini, who right now, just a a note to add on the end, is tied for the major league lead in RBIs a year after coming back from colon cancer. So shout out Trey Mancini. You are the lone bright spot on the Baltimore Orioles. And thank you for all for listening. As always, be sure to like and subscribe the uh, subscribe to the podcast. Follow us on social media at LineEmUpPod. And for my two co-hosts, Brendan and Eric, thank you so much. Thanks, John. Thanks for all your hard work. And congratulations once again to John and Milena on getting engaged. Yeah, thanks for everybody for joining us. Hope you're having as much fun as we are. <laughs>